is only one queen. Long live Queen Elizabeth. God save the queen. All that's happened on my watch is the place has fallen apart. The Crowncast, a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win. Welcome to episode four of The Crowncast with Kira Kelly. The podcast that looks at all things to do with series four of The Crown. And today I am joined by Kieran Cudahy and we are going to look at episode four of series four, the episode known as The Favourites. Um, Kieran, you're very welcome to Thanks, Crowncast. Um, you are a late comer to The Crown in general, is that right? Uh, no, I, I watched The Crown from the get-go. I, I'm an early adopter, isn't that what people, they call people Apparently, like me? that's, well... They call you all sorts, but that's fair enough. Um, well, I'll tell you what, what I was. You... I, I, I loved, I'm like a lot of people. I'm just, I am uh, so, I'm ter- stereotypical in a lot of ways. I enjoyed season one and season two immensely. I thought season three, uh, it kind of dragged a little bit. Yeah. And then I actually, I felt the start of this season was a bit over underwhelming, but it's, it's picked up and I've kind of got sucked into it now. And we're firmly in the kind of the binge watching space. Yeah, same as myself. This episode is quite interesting in that it it looks, it drills into the parallels between Thatcher as a mother and Queen Elizabeth as a mother. And it starts off, Mark Thatcher has gone missing at the Paris-Dakar rally. He's somewhere in Africa. We don't know where he is. And she says very blatantly to the Queen, I'm I'm very upset about this because he's my favourite child. I have twins, Mark and Carol and Mar- Mark is my favourite. And the Queen is, is nonplussed by this and goes and has a chat with uh, Prince Philip about it. What did you make of that? I thought, like, it, it's funny. Um, it was, I enjoyed the mechanic. You know, it, it's 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 completely contrived. Like, I'm, I doubt, completely. like, lots of these things in it that they ever happened or that she'd be, well, maybe Thatcher's such an oddball. Maybe she was that explicit about having a favourite. But then, you know, that it, 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 it precipitated this series of one-on-one meetings which again it, it was just an utterly contrived way of of us trying to see what type of children had been produced by the queen mm. and prince philip and and like like that i saw just saw some people criticizing it like like that because it was contrived but i actually i didn't mind it as a mechanic it it it, it was a bit clunky but i actually enjoyed uh, you know getting a little insight into yeah. how, how they had all developed and and i suppose Getting to see or, or witnessing how she, how the Queen kind of was awoken to the type of children that she suddenly had. We we, we were kind of aware of them. Uh, well, certainly two of them, you know, Edward and, and Andrew uh, were only really introduced. Now, we knew about the other two and, and their issues, but she didn't. And it, suddenly, it was like she kind of caught up with the audience to a degree. Talk, talk us through the four children. Do you have a favourite yourself among the four? I thought you said among can, my can two. You? Yes, I no. do is the answer, but they're not listening. Among the, among the four. Um, if you had to pick one of the royal brood as your favourite, which one would you Oh, be? Randy Andy. Absolutely. No, surely not. Oh, yeah, I think so. Like, if you set aside all the, you know, the current predicament uh, and, and, and the problems he finds himself in, uh, which are pretty significant. Ah, yeah, I who do I like the most out of the four of them? It's hard to say. They, they, they're all kind of equally unlikable. I guess Anne maybe is yeah. is, is maybe the character you can have most empathy with. Like Edward is just kind of a, a kind of vindictive little thing. Um, Edward is odious. I mean, and obviously we accept that this is is contrived. We don't know. Oh what yeah, he's we're not talking like about really. the real but, people. But I don't know. So him let's from talk Adam. about the character. Yeah, the yeah. characters in the thing. Edward 
is obnoxious. Like he's he's a horrible little runt of a person. Yeah, he is. He is awful, and like he gets a bit bullied and all that. I know, but like plenty of people get bullied and they don't turn into unbelievable prats either. You know yeah. what I mean? Which is which is what he is. Uh, 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 Andrew, like the Andrew character, is kind of a bit of a guffawing Egypt, but uh, and maybe that's what Andrew really is like. I, I suspect he probably is a little bit, but he's kind of good he, fun and he's young in it, and so you kind of have to take that a bit. Like he's you, kind of like a typical young lad to a degree. <laughs> Well, apart from the helicopter and yeah, the, and all that, but I mean, but he, but if any young lad had access to a helicopter, that's exactly what they do with it. They'd like buzz the house and then land in the garden. Of course, <laughs> they like would. You know, he, gun for royals. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, uh, Charles. We might come on to Charles because Charles is just mm. a, a whole other kettle of fish. Anne is probably the one. Uh, I suppose we knew everything about Anne. Anne's been in it already so much that we didn't really learn a huge. You kind of knew that, you know, things were kind of difficult for Anne and that she kind of had these walls built around her, like, to, she, she you know... She is portrayed kind of as very angry. I mean, she... Philip is up front. He, she's her, his favourite child. He likes yeah. her the best. And, and there is a theme of mothers and sons in this and fathers and daughters as well. The Dennis Thatcher, uh, Carol relationship and, and the, the Philip-Anne relationship. But she... This portrays her as disaffected in her marriage, cut off and unhappy yeah. in, in her life. She's like... Remember that dying with... bar ad about the armadillos? Crunchy on the outside, smooth on the inside. <laughs> she, a little like that, kind of hard on the outside, soft this on the, the inside. This is the kind of in-depth psychological analysis I was hoping well, to get... Too with you, Kier. but she's also jealous of Diana, which is interesting, and that's probably not an unfair suggestion because Diana did appear on the world stage in the royal family, and she went from being the only girl, the only young girl in that family, yes. to suddenly having the biggest competition in the world on her doorstep. Yeah, absolutely, not the only one in the family jealous of Diana. We're kind of giving away maybe a bit of episode five there, so we'll park that. But uh, that <laughs> you people, yes. fans of the of the podcast, uh, I'm sure whoever's reviewing the next episode, you'll talk a little bit. Um, about that but yeah look it's understandable the jealousy uh, but yeah Charles though like I said uh, you know he's another kettle of fish oh uh, he I, totally is he, he is just so self-centred and pompous I mean when they're walking it's, it's what's funny is their meeting is the most formal you know even you know the, the meal and he's kind of fastidious about how the table is set that they're the most standoffish with each other and then but I out in the garden and he starts kind of quoting, is it Samuel Taylor Coleridge? He quote, he mentions Xanadu and then he talks about something yes. else. So I assumed it's from, uh, you know, in Xanadu, you know, um, and all that. a great line. He's, he's banging man. on about Shangri-La and Xanadu and all of this. And the Queen goes, oh, that's nice wisteria. She just cuts him off. She has no interest in listening to his esoteric ramblings. And that has been true of her relationship in this series all along between Elizabeth and Charles. But it's probably true that people I have four kids I have three boys and a girl in the same order as uh, as Queen Elizabeth herself has but you do parent your older children a little bit differently because you're younger and you're less confident as a parent and then your younger ones you yeah. do get a bit more relaxed so this might reflect uh, a, a possible sort of um, relationship 
change, you know, between the older two and the younger two because she does seem to be more indulgent of the likes of Andrew than she has ever been. She does. And, and look, I don't know. My kids are so young, I don't know. But I, I, was, I was talking to my wife about it. Like, I'm sure as kids get older as well, you've got, sh- like, as they become people, there are people you get on with better than others. And they're not necessarily your favourite or anything. But I imagine if you've got four kids, there's going to be one or two there. And you're not going to admit this on a podcast that anybody I'm can listen not. to. But there's going to be chill. You're not going to get on exactly the same way. I won't, I won't, let's not say then you, you get on better or worse, but you, you, you have different the, relationships with, with, yeah, uh, with them because the they're all different people. It's the same as the rest of your family. Yeah. You have a different relationship with each of your children. It's the same as your family. Do you know what I thought? And you mentioned the crown being good at constructs and they are they, they, they do very deliberate parallels they do very deliberate reflections the, the Thatcher Elizabeth and all that but I, I also do think that that things like the Andrew thing with, with Coo Stark that mm-hmm. kind of a thing they, they do that quite well and they do it repeatedly you know these, these the metaphors that they, so, they, they some use. of them get a bit clunky they, though there was yes, one in that they, they episode they set it up as, as the children being lost on the yeah. back of Mark Thatcher being lost are they starting to it, irritate you it, did, it, remi- you know, it reminded me a bit of that quite fir- deliberate yeah the first episode where they were all hunting and uh, and, yes, and Batten the then got blown exactly, up you know exactly. and, and I thought they're that not was subtle is ridiculous no and there was another one in this episode no look Look, in general, the writing is about as subtle as a sledgehammer. And I would say that for every episode um, across this series. But, like, you know, nothing is perfect. And it's still, like, I'm still enjoying it. There there was, in, in terms of those parallels, that, like, there was a ridiculous enough moment, all right, where um, it, it sounded like Margaret Thatcher took Britain to war against Argentina over the Falklands because of Mark and she talked about she stood up and she was like our people are far from home they are lost and that they need they need yeah. our protection and then they Another need to be brought yeah. back into you know the warm bosom of, of Mother Britain or whatever the hell she said and I just thought I thought well really they're kind of stretching it here a little bit suggesting that like the like an open conflict on the world scene was because Mark you know this absolute dilettante of a child like let's not forget Mark was a waster like a waster of the highest order um, who went on to like try to start a coup in Equatorial Guinea some years later I remember like uh, that being a story they, they used to do a, a, a tremendous um, parody of him in Spitting Image you're probably too young to remember Spitting Image yeah. Kieran, but they, the, the, the Thatcher family were all in Spitting Image and they had him there in his little rally jacket uh, literally <laughs> sort of squeak, squeaking around the place like an idiot being overindulged but making an absolute tosser of I, d- I did time. wonder actually that scene at the dinner table I just I, I wondered like Thatcher um, the Thatcher I'm still I'm still I swing over and back on the Thatcher character uh, in in The Crown and you know where my sympathies lie for her and everything but uh, I, I, like is she that emotionally idiotic I wonder in real life you know, or or, or how re- I know it's not real life, but I wonder how realistic was it to have the character that that emotionally idiotic? You know, where she couldn't well, understand that that you would thank the rescuers. You know, she like she couldn't get her head around that. Like, you know, Thatcher Thatcher's a pretty odious person. Like, you know, that's my political well, well, view. She was, but I'm, but I'm but she's not dumb. No, not not by any means. But but I'm wondering 
I mean, this this round throughout, and and we will talk about maybe in a moment whether or not you think the acting is too affected in in terms of Thatcher mm. or not. But this rounds her out in that she's she's a, a a family woman. She's pretty dismissive of, of of Carol, but she's highly indulgent of of Mark. She's clearly upset in this that he's lost. She's distracted. She's all of that. We have sympathy for her in moments in this. Mm. Do you think that you know she's a widely hated figure, particularly in this country? Do you think that this will in any way soften our view of her? No, not really. <laughs> uh, I think that the the most sympathetic I was for Thatcher was actually in episode two when they were up in Balmoral and I turned to my wife and I said, I can't believe it, but I'm on Thatcher's side and all of this. These bloody yeah, German yeah. blow-ins need to be taken down a peg or two. Um, um, so, so, These but, bloody German blow-ins, that's a great description of the Windsors. And yeah, things. but I, ju- I think, um, no, I, I wouldn't have a huge degree of sympathy for her on the back of that episode. Here, Here's a question. Obviously... They look at both the political and the personal in series of The Crown and, and that's what they've been doing all along and sometimes they do it better and sometimes they, they, they do it worse. But in terms of the Falklands, Thatcher was hugely, hugely unpopular by the time she went to war mm. in the Falklands. We had seen the minor strikes. We we had seen riots. We had seen civic unrest. She had Her popularity was in her boots. The Falklands changed that a little bit because, you know, uh, putting a country on a wartime footing often rallies people in terms of patriotism. And do you think or did you think when you were watching it at any moment? She, I mean, she seems to act with great conviction in everything she does. She seems to believe that her vision of Britain is, is mm. what Britain needs, at least according to the Crown. But do you think on any level that she was self-serving, that she perhaps knew that a war might rally the troops and get her a bit longer in office? Because we know yeah. that in wartime, people rally behind their leaders. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they didn't... Uh... Like whether she possibly in real life she did, but um, in the crown they didn't even suggest that. You know they didn't try to kind of hint at it even that that maybe this is what she was doing. Well, I suppose they did talk about a little bit about her popularity, but her as a character, there was no kind of you know kind of raised eyebrow, uh, you know, or that there was no kind of whisperings about you know how this might be perceived by the public, you know, with special advisors. Which I suppose you know, as as again as a mechanic in a in a in a TV yeah. show w- would indicate that that was me. You know, they were kind of hinting at this was a possible motive. They didn't get to it, so I didn't really pick up on that watching the, it. The me- you know, whether 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 that was a a factor in real life. Thatcher was kind of before my time as well, so I yeah. you know I. Maybe when you were watching it, maybe that was kind of a live conversation that happened she, around I, the Falklands, I I, that this was done for popularity. John Major's the first kind of PM of the yeah. UK that I was kind of aware of. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I was, could have been, I don't know, was I eight? Was I nine? Or was I ten? I was something yeah, like that around this time. <laughs> But so I don't really know, but but I know that these I remember the news being dominated by both the scenes in Northern Ireland, and I remember things like the sinking of the Belgrano in the Falklands, and Simon Weston with the terrible face of Burns going on all the chat shows as 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 a kind of a, an advocate for charities and mm. all of this. I mean, it definitely was part of the social narrative and the political narrative of the time in a huge way that even filtered through to children. So I mean, we talk nowadays about our children going through extraordinary things with the pandemic, but as kids, we saw unseemly and 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 sort of frightening things as well on the news that's 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 not a new thing let's talk a little bit about the acting i asked you about the affectation margaret thatcher gillian anderson who i think is an amazing actress and and has huge screen presence and she has the voice 
unbelievably well. The head tilt and all too, but is it too much? Yeah, I, I find it a little too much, I have to say. Now, I, 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 I spoke to John Faraday about this a couple of weeks ago on the hard shoulder he was talking to us and he was suggesting that what she had been told, and this was before I had seen any of it, you know, we were wondering what it might look like. She had been told the advice she was given was overact, like completely exaggerate, and then tone it back a bit. And and I, I kind of find myself thinking every now and then, my God, I would hate to see the overacting if this is the toned back down yeah. version. I, I find times, uh, yeah, I just find it a, a little bit, and look, it's, I'm, I have sympathy for Gillian Anderson because this is the difficulty when you're trying to portray someone who's so famous and has so many kind of unique mannerisms. And you see it the same when people try to, you know, play a Donald well, Trump or whatever Di- it is. Diana too. I yeah, mean, but both it, you're doing in a, the, the danger is how do you, almost. yeah, or how do you, how do you act without just doing an impression? Like at what point are you not just doing an impression of Margaret Thatcher? Because anyone can do an impression of Margaret Thatcher. You know, or certainly lots of good impressionists could do it. So, like, where, where's the line between... It's a, it's a kind of a blurred line, I assume, what actors will tell you between doing an impression and acting. And Gillian Anderson obviously would feel she's on the right side of it. I think, I just wonder sometimes, when I'm watching it, I kind of feel she kind of teeters over to the wrong side of the line a little bit. And I think this is kind let's of a, not quite spitting image, but she's kind of just doing an impression yes. of someone let's famous. Take a, let's take a clip here. We'll take a clip, because this is The Favourites, and we are talking about episode four of, of The Crown. And this is the episode where, where Margaret Thatcher is very upfront about Mark Thatcher being her favourite and then we the Queen starts to reflect on her own children. Let's take a listen to Margaret Thatcher now, Gillian uh, Anderson as Margaret Thatcher being being in her own inimitable Margaret Thatcher self. It's my son, Mark. You've two children, yes? Yes, twins. Mark and Carol, 28 years old. And my favourite, Mark, a very special child. The kind of son any mother would dream of having has gone missing. Missing? He has been competing in the Paris Dakar car rally. Kieran, the, like the the, th- the themes that run through this around family and parenting, uh, we we do see over the course of all these series and her relationship with Philip. There is a closeness between them that might not be mirrored in her closeness with her children. Yeah, and it's funny that, like, I suppose that that closeness, uh, like, it, it wasn't always there, you know, throughout the four seasons. It certainly wasn't there at the start, you know, in the uh, in the early days of their uh, relationship, and even a little bit in that. That was probably the best aspect about season three was uh, Philip and how lost he was. You know, it was the most interesting, yeah. like, just from a human perspective, watching it. Uh, like I suppose Philip getting to that probably getting like a new talk about like getting to points in life different milestones and you look back and assess you know what, what what's important and what you've achieved and I suppose he got to one of them and looked back and wondered what he had achieved and he got a little bit lost um, and that was interesting yeah like he he is in this yeah it is interesting I suppose that the how how warm that relationship. It does has seem become, to have a, have a warmth. Yeah, yeah, it does. It seems to, and it look and and again, like Tobias Menzies is a brilliant actor. Um, he, no, he's absolutely gifted. And you're right. In season three, he comes into into his. Yeah, own and I, I really like him as an actor in lots of other things. So, like, I think he's great, and I think he plays Prince Philip really well. And Prince Philip is like Prince Philip seems like a bit of crack, but I'm not the person I'd have the most sympathy in the world with either at the same time. But I, but I have sympathy with 
He, I like he, him he, much more his, in this than I ever would have portrayed, liked him in real life. Yes, that's actually that's a good way of putting it. That's probably true for me as well. I, I've I've a lot of sympathy with uh, Tobias Menzies' portrayal of Prince Philip, and uh, yeah, like it's it, they've kind of become a bit of a double act. It's hard to imagine one without the other, I suppose. Yeah. And, and now maybe again, maybe that's just. Maybe that's uh, just he's contrived, reassur- I suppose. He's very they, reassuring they, they, to her. Chats. Yeah, when yeah. She, when she comes back to him, and and uh, we might take another clip here of her kind of reflecting on her motherhood uh, and reflecting on on whether or not she has a favourite. But he's very supportive of her and say, "You are a good mother. You were there for them." And she mentions that she was the mother to the nation that her own mother said, and and she seems to be pondering about, the, I suppose, the reality of of her being mother to the nation, but perhaps not always there for her own children. But I remember insisting that I would never let the nannies do it. What? Bath time. But when it came to it, I sat in a chair in the background because I didn't know how to Out of what? Hold him, touch him. Get, look at me. Look at me. You must stop this nonsense. You are a perfectly good mother. And the children are adults now. It's their responsibility to sort themselves out. If they sort themselves out. Well, they will, eventually. And in the meantime, it is your job to... Stick Stick around, stay alive and keep breathing. Precisely. For all our sakes. Kieran, have you any interest in in the misogyny that... that is of its time uh, and that is quite apparent, I think, at moments throughout all of season four, but during this episode too? What misogyny? (laughs) <laughs> so no is the answer. Um, the misogyny, the 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 pitting of of say Anne against Diana, uh, Thatcher's own inherent misogyny towards Carol, towards other women in general. We see we saw her in early episodes saying, "Of course, I have no woman in the cabinet. They're too emotional." She 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 was upset that she broke down in the office with the Queen because you know, oh God, of course I would as as I'm a woman, and she's scathing of her own mother. Um, there are things said in this episode that would never be said now, uh, you know, in terms of how we talk, in terms of political correctness that has sort of, I suppose, become part of our, our way of life now that we, we would never see parents bluntly yeah, saying things I, I like, suppose. oh, I've got a favourite and or, or, oh, I don't really like girls. Well, yeah, I'm not sure, like, is saying I don't have a favourite has anything to do with political correctness or modern life. Like, I don't, I, you know, I don't think people think so. in the 19... 19- well, I'd, I, were parents 19, in the 1980s going around and introducing their children and saying, look, here's Kieran, Joanne, Katrina and William and this one is my favourite, you know, of the four. I, think I, don't, I don't think that was happening then. Like, I, I think a that's... less sentimental time, though. Yeah, no, we're, sorry. Now we're, we're kind of disnified a little bit. Uh, look, I don't know. I, th- I think there was kind of... Yeah, look, I, I don't think we're kind of... You know, this isn't exactly the hottest of hot takes to suggest that, you know, parenting wasn't as kind of warm and cuddly in previous generations as it is today. But but I'm not sure is that political correctness. I wouldn't put it down to that. I think it's just kind of, you know, evolving styles of 
of okay. parenting. Like, you know, if you go back any generation, you know, go back two or three generations at any point in history and, and it'll be utterly different. I guess different. maybe what I mean is there's a hardness there and I think political correctness drove some of that out of our conversations too. There's a hardness. I mean, listen, let's t- listen to Carol talking about her, her mum. Prefer one over the other. Carol, that's not true. It is indisputably and painfully true. What I want to say to you is... Is it just because you had a difficult relationship with your mother? Darling, I really don't have time for You this. cannot let it affect your relationship with all women. Most of all, your own daughter. Darling, you do pick your moments. I am busy. In a few minutes, I have the chiefs of staff coming. Then give me one of those minutes. You disregard me. You overlook me. And you favour Mark. Because he's stronger. Like my father was stronger. So, so do you know what I mean? That there, yeah, there, I, know, I, a, th- I think you're, a, a there's differing. a hardness. There's a hardness there, but I'm not sure is that a generational thing or is it of its era? I think that's just Margaret Thatcher. Like, I think if Margaret Thatcher was alive today, she'd be the same despicable parent that she was in the 1980s. You know, I, 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 don't, although, I, don't, think, I don't think she was born off her, like that was necessarily off her time. Interestingly, hard and all as she is, and she is clearly like hard as nails in this series, She's she cruel. So more, she's not hard. More genuinely, you, she's genuinely cruel. devoted to Mark Thatcher than the Queen is really to any of her children to some extent. Yeah, but again, like they're just they're, they're utterly different circumstances. The two of them, you know, that they've grown up in. Like she, you know, she was that that they're the, the circumstances of their parenting are 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 incomparable. Do you not think well, so? You well, I do. I mean, she was she was the grocer's daughter. I, I think I think Mar- the queen is a little princess. harsh on her on herself when when she reflects towards the end. The clip we heard earlier about her parenting style and you know that their children are all lost and what have you. Like uh, that, there, there is a bit of that, and of course, their parenting style is going to have uh, an impact. And this distant kind of detached parenting style is going to have an impact on the kids. But, but you know, she talks about Charles in particular. Like, let's not forget, Charles was actually capable of forming a perfectly healthy, loving relationship with someone. The problem is that someone was married and it was to someone yeah. else other than Charles. You know what I mean? He's not utterly emotionally stunted. He's just in love with someone else. Charles's major problem has nothing got to do with the Queen. Charles just, Charles just needs, as he has since he was first introduced, a swift kick in the hole. In fairness, it was the Queen who stopped him forming the relationship. Well, the Queen Mother and, and, and Dickie and etc. But, but it yeah. was the royal family that stopped him forming it, it was. It, it was. They, they, they did stop him. Like, And you can talk about whether that was right or wrong. And that was of its time. But but I mean, Charles's planning is really starting to grind my gears. You know what I mean? Like when I talk about him needing a swift kick in the arse, it, like he desperately, desperately needs it. I mean, like no, I agree. people, I people, I people, have, lost, people have lost lovers like to awful accidents, uh, you know, and they've died and they never see them again. And they don't pine for as long as Charles has for a woman who's living down the road. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just ridiculous. I have two more things I want to ask you about. What is, there's been lots of commentary lately about the kind of fact versus fiction element of the yes. crime. Lots of discussion in the British press. What do you make of that? The, the dramatisation of history, is it acceptable? They don't like it, but they don't like it because lots of the characters are coming out as cold uh, and attached and, and a bit uh, messed up. I don't, they don't like it. I heard who, Simon Jenkins, is that who you yeah. spoke to on the yes, Breakfast I Show? Indeed. And he was very quick to say, I'm, I'm not a royalist or I'm not a defender of the royal family, but, and it just, like, I, I, I laughed out loud. It's kind of like, well, I'm not a racist, but, you know, I'm not yeah. homophobic, but, I'm not anti-whatever, but, you know what I mean? I'm sure, yeah, sure you're not. Like, he, he was defending the royal family. I'm sure that if you are a defender of the royal family, if you're a royalist, 
I wouldn't like like if I was I wouldn't like this either I don't have a problem with no I don't uh, <laughs> dramatizations like they don't become a part of history I mean I, I you know as, the, the argument that they make is that these form the tapestry of history and then the future generations will kind of look to them as a kind of a representation of, of what happened at the time. Like, find me the secondary school class that is sitting down with Wolf Hall to find out exactly what happened, you know, with Henry VIII yeah. and his six wives. Yeah. You know, that they're yes. not doing I, it. I, I did mention Mantle Tomb and he was quite dismissive of that. Lastly, just... The look of the crown, like one of the things I'm really enjoying, and it's, I think it's because I did grow up in the 80s, that the, the look of the clothes, the music, the soundtrack, the cars, the sets, the style. Does that sweep you away? Any it's, of it? That's one of my favourite aspects. The earlier seasons did more. Like I love a period drama. So yeah, I, 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 I was much more swept away by the sets and the setting and, and all of that in the earlier seasons. What I find a little interesting is you know, like I don't mind admitting uh, that, like I'm, I, I would consider it like a fan. I'm a fan of the royal family from afar. I think it's great that they exist, and I think what's the best thing about them is that they don't exist here, so that we can watch them over there and kind of <laughs> engage from a distance. And I know that none of my money is going to fund any of this, uh, you know, absolute sh1t, but but someone else's is, and we can kind of we can kind of dip in and out of it just for the crack. And all the pomp and ceremony and that is kind of entertaining, but it's kind of and it's funny in season four maybe because it's juxtaposed more with a kind of a modern Britain and a Britain that I, I recognise and you recognise it, it kind of comes across as a little more pathetic or something you know I don't know what it is it, like that it's it's kind of it's that they king, are king an Canute. anachronism and they, and they yeah. should stay in the past yeah like are they kind of old men raging against the dying of the light or whatever it happens to be you know I, I, I don't know what it is it, it, it was more of its time in, in, in the earlier seasons and, and like that I, I just enjoyed I suppose the settings and, and the costumes and the, 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 the visuals of it much more so in seasons one and two than I than I do in seasons three or four. Interesting, because I think a lot of us were, were, were quite uh, excited about season four because we were going to see sort of the lived modern history as, as we remembered it. But uh, that's an interesting uh, point there. Look, thank you for talking to me today. That is no Kieran problem Cuddy, uh, of The Hard Shoulder. You can listen to him every day on News Talk on The Hard Shoulder. Uh, that is episode four of The Crowncast on episode four of The Crown, The Favourites. But see uh, episode one, two and three of The Crowncast, which were done with Shane Coleman, Andrea Gilligan and John Duggan, are available on the News Talk app as well. That's all for today's episode of The Crowncast with me, Kira Kelly. Talk to you soon. The Crowncast, a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win.